Before we start this week's episode, as ever, I just thank Sora Shimazaki at Pexels, who took the photograph which adorns the cover art of the podcast. Let's get on with it. Hello and welcome to This Week in Financial Crime. I'm your host, Chris Copride. It's been a quiet one this week, so you shouldn't be unduly detained. We'll look at some mopping up sanctions news, a few money laundering updates with news on the Singaporean presidency of the Financial Action Task Force, and a fraud case which highlights everything we talked about in the Financial Crime Weekly podcast special edition on fraud. Let's start with... Russian sanctions, first the UK, then globally. Once again, with UK sanctions, it does seem that there is a sense of mopping up. First, Her Majesty's Treasury uh, Office of Financial Sanctions Implementation, or OFSI, has issued a general licence in relation to the sanctioned Russian bank Rossbank, allowing a person, other than Rossbank or a subsidiary, to wind down any transactions to which it is a party involving Rossbank or a subsidiary, including the closing out of any positions, the repayment of loans, withdrawal of deposits and closing of accounts. And a person, relevant institution, Rossbank or a subsidiary can carry out any activity which is reasonably necessary to effect this. That license expires on the 30th of July 2022. In addition to this license, licenses have also been issued relating to derivatives contracts entered into with the National Bank of Belarus and the Belarusian Ministry of Finance. Of course, Belarus has been the target of sanctions regimes globally because of the support which the regime has shown for Putin's invasion of Ukraine. These licenses allow the provision of financial services for the purpose of winding down any derivatives, repurchase and reverse repurchase transactions which were entered into prior to the 5th of July 2022 with the National Bank of Belarus or the Ministry of Finance of Belarus or those where the carrying out of any activity reasonably necessary to effect this. The licences also allow a person directly or indirectly to deal with a transferable security or money market instrument relating to Belarus which might otherwise be prohibited given the sanctions. These licenses are timely uh, for those who need to unwind positions relating to Belarus because the Republic of Belarus sanctions EU exit amendment regulations 2022 number 748 came into force on the 5th of July. These sanctions broaden the financial and trade sanctions applicable to Belarus, imposing new export restrictions on goods and technology and create new transportation sanctions specifically relating to aircraft and shipping sanctions. That's it for the UK. Beyond the UK, the most significant development comes from the Council of the European Union, where it has requested that the European Parliament consent to add the violation, or the violation rather, of restrictive measures to the list of EU crimes included in the uh, the Treaty on the Functioning of the EU. The request comes from the fact that member states of the European Union take differing approaches to what constitutes a violation of restrictive measures and the penalties that should be applied to their breach. This inconsistency, so the request provides, this is a direct quote, could lead to different degrees of enforcement of sanctions and a risk of these measures being circumvented, potentially allowing sanctions 
san sanctioned persons to continue accessing their assets and supporting regimes targeted by EU measures. Under Article 83 of the Treaty on the Functioning of the EU, the Parliament and the Council may establish minimum rules concerning the definition of criminal offences and sanctions in areas of particularly serious crime with a cross-border dimension. Now let's move away from sanctions and turn to money laundering. First, and linked to the story in last week's Financial Crime Weekly podcast about the blogs charting the progress of the Register of Overseas Entities, this week the Register of Overseas Entities Verification and Provision of Information Regulations 2022 Statutory Instrument Number 725 were laid before the Commons and the Lords in the United Kingdom Parliament. The regulations concern the verification process which, as explained last week, is a crucial element of the Register of Overseas Entities. These regulations will come into force when Section 3 of the Economic Crime, Transparency and Enforcement Act 2022 comes into force. Staying in the UK, on the 4th of July, Her Majesty's Treasury once again updated its advisory notice on controls for higher-risk jurisdictions for the purposes of money laundering and terrorist financing. The update follows the meeting of the Financial Action Task Force in Berlin on the 17th of June, where it was decided to remove Malta from the list. Sticking with the Financial Action Task Force, this week it set out its objectives for the Singaporean presidency of the organisation. No real surprises in the statement, but it is worth flagging some of the more high-profile elements. First, they commit to redoubling efforts relating to asset recovery. The statement estimates that only 1% of illicit funds are intercepted and recovered, which is why current work will be expedited, together with a strengthening of collaboration between the FATF, FATF-style regional bodies, and asset recovery networks. Secondly, the FATF commits, under the Singaporean presidency, to counter money laundering and terrorist financing linked to cyber-enabled crime. This is a, a new initiative. The statement provides, and this is a quote, the FATF will seek to better understand the challenges, analyse the money laundering techniques used, identify appropriate tools such as data analytics and industry partnerships, and illuminate best practice to facilitate learning by members. Thirdly, the FATF will look to increase the effectiveness of global anti-money laundering measures. This will include an ongoing review of current projects, including ensuring that the FATF standards remain current and relevant, and also to lay the groundwork for the fifth round of mutual evaluations. Finally, the FATF will reinforce FATF partnerships and the FATF-style regional bodies. And finally this week, told you it wouldn't be very long, we look at fraud. Uh, a bit of fraud news I wouldn't usually bother, uh, bother covering simply because it doesn't have a great deal of general higher um, relevance. But when you link it back to something we've discussed previously on the Financial Crime Weekly, it's actually worth flagging again. So this week it was announced that the director of an online hair and beauty business has been disqualified as a director for 10 years after fraudulently claiming a £50,000 loan under the UK government's COVID-19 bounce-back loan scheme. Now, 
As I said, this is a relatively minor story, but I thought it was worth mentioning for two reasons. First, the problem of fraud in the COVID finance initiatives has been well documented in the mainstream media and also in the specialist press. In fact, you could hardly move for a fraud story relating to coronavirus, not just in the United Kingdom, but in the US as well. In fact, I saw some stories about corona fraud in the US only this week. Now, You'll remember as well, hopefully, anyway, that there was a Financial Crime Weekly special edition on fraud and financial crime, and we looked at the UK Parliament's Public Accounts Committee, which published a report into the sheer scale of fraud carried out in these coronavirus recovery schemes, which were created not only in the UK, but again, globally. Now, you may recall that that report was especially scathing of the lack of coordination between relevant agencies. For example, the Department for Business, Enterprise, Innovation and Skills, I think it is, I think that's what BEIS stands for, couldn't say whether it either sought or received information from Companies House on company formation trends. Now, I said that in the podcast a few weeks ago. Go back and listen to it if you haven't listened to it already. But it resonates with this story today. So that brings me to my second point. And arguably, I think it's the most extraordinary point about this case. The director in it was able to claim the £50,000 despite the fact that the company's accounts showed that it had ceased trading in 2019 and had shut down its website yet it applied for a loan in May 2020. It's remarkable, and I would certainly recommend going back to listen to that fraud special if you've got the time and you haven't already done so. I suspect that the type of fraud that we've seen in this case, where a company was, was trading but had stopped but still applied for the fund, was more common than we might like to think, and certainly at least there would be a significant number of instances of that happening, as well as the more common, which I documented in that special, of companies being set up at a dramatic rate following the lockdown and the announcement of support for those businesses that were struggling due to the lockdown. Anyway, that's it for this week. Fingers crossed we'll all be back next week. 